This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships? by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, The Ascent Leader and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a podcast that if I do my job right, will hopefully help you get better at the craft of preaching and teaching and communication. And at the same time, my sole desire is to have your character always lead the way. And today I'm joined with a dear friend, Luke Northworthy. He's a pastor, senior minister at Westover Hills Church in Austin, Texas. And he's been pastoring uh, a group of people who have gone through a lot of heartache because their college football team has needed a lot of help, a lot of help. But Luke Northworthy is an author. He wrote God Over Good and Befriending Your Monsters. Uh, he has a fantastic podcast called Northworthy, and it's one of those podcasts that weekly discuss spirituality, Christianity, and anything else that will help you navigate faith in a modern world. And the people that he brings on um, will stretch you, will remind you, will ground you, will compel you. And he's just um, brilliant and funny and such a curious learner and teacher, uh, you're, you're going to get a sense of it just right now. Like how we often do with our podcast, we, we give you a little glimpse of someone's sound. And Luke did a teach uh, a number of months ago on the Sermon on the Mount. And I remember listening to it and I was like, I got to get him on the Crafting Character podcast because the way he he injects humor, the way that he is so grounded, the way that he will inspire, the way that he just teaches God's word. Uh, friends, I'm so, so excited for you to get a chance to meet my friend, Luke Norsworthy. Hear this and then we'll dive into the conversation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives some really like overwhelming statements that they're kind of hard to process. Jesus says, do not resist evildoers. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth. Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And a lot of these statements don't make any sense to us. We probably wanna ask Jesus that question, what world are you living in, Jesus? And sometimes we've tried to interpret this teaching and those words literally, which I think kind of falls short of what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus doesn't want anyone to cut off their hand. And then we just kind of reduce it to being just metaphorical. And I think then we've just watered down what Jesus is saying. But I think there's a better way to read that. There's a better way to read these words. And it's not literal, it's not metaphorical, but it's reading in light of the age to come. The fancy theology word is eschatologically. Read these words in light of the age that is to come. Because what Jesus is trying to do is say, the world that you're living in right now isn't it. But there is an age to come that you need to live your life in light of. And so as we read this teaching, the more that it seems overwhelming or impossible 
or unapplicable to us, it's probably a reminder that we're more rooted in a world that Jesus is calling us to not base our life out of. And these words in which Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It don't make sense here, but in the other world that Jesus calls us to live into, it makes sense. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is asking us a simple question, what world are you living in? Because there's the one that is to come and that's where you're supposed to be based in. And in light of this world, there is a function that you and I have to do. There's a job that we've been called to because of this kingdom. Luke Norsworthy, welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. We just heard a clip from a message you gave on the Sermon on the Mount uh, from a passage uh, about salt and light. Give us a little background on that teach and we'll chop it up about okay. your prep. For, okay. First of all, thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I, can we do a part where you explain how you call sermons teaches? I like that. I, I would just like to know the backstory on it. That's good. Yeah, yeah. We should. We should. I, this is your podcast. We can do what you want. Well, I think it's, I have, a, I have multiple synonyms. Oh, mean the same word. So, like yeah. some some people like will call it a preach. Some people call it a teach. Some people call it a sermon. Some people call it a message. I think in the podcast you'll see it interchangeable. I like that. And just so it's not like the same word. I love it. Yeah, you know, it's just here's the thing. I think you're way cooler than me, and so I'm going to try to incorporate that into my vernacular because if it's good enough for Steve Carter, oh my goodness, it's good enough for me. So the backstory on that teach, how that sound? Did that sound natural? That's natural. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the backstory is that was the second week in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is one of the central teach. Like if you're going to start with who Jesus is, I think Sermon on the Mount is a good place to start. Yeah. And so I think over a two-year period, I probably did 33 Sundays okay. teaches on that text. So like 33 Sermon on the Mount sermons. Okay, yep. And yep. so I had done the Beatitudes independent and the Lord's Prayer independent and then I split it up because I felt like my people were like, hey, Jesus did this all in one week. Why are you taking like seven months to do what Jesus did in like an hour or two? So um, anyway, so when we got into that passage about uh, salt and light, I thought like the, the big idea is like, I want to help articulate this vision of like, there's a different world that we are being ushered into, but also it's not just us being ushered into it ourselves, but we now have an active participation in ushering other people into it as yeah. well. One of the things I appreciate whenever I listen to you teach is you have this way to mix heavy and light, whether through your storytelling, whether through humor, whether through not taking yourself so seriously, whether through just um, the way that you will string a sentence together that almost showcases that another world is possible. Hmm. Um, talk about that because I think there's something unique um, about how you craft messages that really feels like an extension of who you are in your actual everyday life. Oh, well, I, I like, first of all, I appreciate that. That means a lot to me coming from you. Uh, I, I do hope it like it is, it's me. Like at the end of the day, like this is my experience with who God is. Mm -hmm. And I, obviously I want to be faithful to the text and put that as the first and foremost of what we're doing. Like we're not gathering just to hear me talk. Uh, one of the prayers that I say a lot and you heard me say it a couple hours ago is, pour through me or pour through Steve, the gift of preaching so that what we hear is a word from you. Because I, I, like, I do believe it transcends just me, but like it, 
it is me. Like the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so I think when I'm giving a teach, it's, that, that's not a very natural one. I said that. Like, I want it to be honest to who I am yeah. and like honest to, to what I'm trying to, to be as a person. And so, man, I think if we can do anything, we can point people to say that there's something beyond what's right in front of us. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I sit on this for a second because I feel like for a long time, I, I, I heard people say, don't have any part of you. Oh, wow. when, when like when you teach, like they shouldn't know aspects of your life. They shouldn't know uh, what fascinates you or the the pieces uh, that you actually like when you're off stage. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so I think there's some people who, whenever they preach, it's just a pericope or chunk of text, and you don't actually ever get to know the communicator. You do this really, really great job that it's never. It's I never feel like you are centering yourself uh, or centering yourself as the hero. Like, I, but but there's a part where, again, um, when Paul says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ," there is a part of that when it's pouring through you that I go, "Gosh, like I see how he how he was able to do that, whether with his family or whether in Austin yeah. or talk about that." Was that something that? you know, in your development as a communicator has been something that you had to either pull back too much, Luke, or actually step into Hmm, more parts of showcasing that formation for you. One of the things that I kind of held on to early on because maybe I saw the opposite example of this is that I wanted to tell stories in which I look bad in (laughs) because I think people... I mean, we're literally up on a stage yep. and it functions as a pedestal. And so people already think we're better than we actually are just because of the nature of the work that we've been called to do. And like, who wants to go listen to a guy center himself or a, a lady center herself as like the hero or the hero in like a sermon? Like that's kind of a, yeah. that's a, a shady move in my opinion. And so I, I do know that early on, uh, I was, I, I used to pastor a church outside of Dallas in a town called Denton. And there's one specific family. They're busy professionals, they had kids and, uh, you know, they, they had a lot on their plate and they were there and I really appreciate them, super supportive of the church. But one of the things I noticed when I was preaching, like if, I, if I'm doing a text, like say it's that Matthew 5 text and I'm doing commentary work and, you know, this is what it means and this is solved and this is what it means and that culture and this is with the Palestinian understanding of this. Uh, like I would see their heads start to like drop down. But then when I would say, you know, Lindsay and and the girls, like my my wife and our kids, like literally their heads would turn back up. And I've seen that in multiple different churches where people look up and they connect to a story because it's like human, it's honest. And like, that's kind of disappointing. Like I'd love for the text to have that sort of uh, level of interest, but like we're all people. Like the gospel is revealed in narrative. Like the word didn't become a cool book, like the word became flesh. And so I think that's part of like the story of the incarnation is that it has to continually be replicated and reincarnated. And so I, I want it to always be authentic to who I am. And I mean, it, it's weird because you say it like I do enough. Some people say, oh, you, Luke doesn't do enough of it. And everyone has like their perspective on what is enough and what is not enough and what is too much vulnerability. And one is like, hey, you're up there, you know, using the pulpit as like your counseling couch to work out. So there's like this weird balance and I don't know if I ever hit it or not, but I do know. Yeah, people listen. Yeah, they they do, and I, you know, I've seen how you've put together your notes, um, and just kind of arranged your manuscript. I, I'm curious is there is there kind of like a a formula or a path at which you typically go? Okay, um, here's what I'm looking for. Here's kind of my process yeah. to get to a point 
that's ready for the platform to develop, to yeah, share. I, if you can look over that screen, there's a dry erase yeah. board. And so I have a checkmark system like for where a sermon's supposed to be in the writing process. And uh, like, I, I, if you want, can I nerd out yes, for a second? Yes, I, I want, like this, I, this is, this, okay. I saw, I saw all these checks yeah. and I'm like, what do the what three is, checks mean or four checks? So yeah. tell me. Okay, so I've got the system where it's, um, they're individual slats of dry erase board that are magnetized to another board. And so each week, like I'll rotate it up. And so every week it gets closer. So I think I'm, I was gone last week. Steve Carter's number two right there. Like that's you. Yes. You, pre- you dominate. Put me in coach. Yeah. Red means done. Like okay. it's done. So done. stop working on it. Um, but underneath that, like I'll have the next 10 sermons. And so the first check mark is like, I've got a Word document. I've got like the idea. I've got the text. I know what I want to do with that. So the very bottom is we've got our 50th anniversary for a church. And so it's just 50th, there's a check mark. I know what I'm doing. I've got a, uh, like, I've got an idea for that service and that sermon. Um, kind of is off. that real quick, is that for that 50th, because I can just see 50th, is 50th a date that could be uh, 25 weeks from there? Or is that a literally 10 weeks? That, that's literally, there's 10 of those. It's 10 weeks out from now. So does every week you have to move up? Yeah, every week. Every Monday I come in and I dry erase, I'm like I erase the stuff on the top and then I pull everyone up. Pull everyone up, okay. Yeah, because gotcha. I want it to like, yep. it, it yep. kind of cycles yep. through. It's, it's like the big board, you know, yep. like you, a player gets drafted, he's off. He's and off. now you move someone up. And so the next one, it's green. That's my, do my commentary work, my text work. And, you know, roughly if you want percentages, that's probably 30% of the sermon is done at that point. The next one is like I get to an outline. And so that's going to be, tell a story that illustrates salt and light. Like, what does that look like? I might not even have it then, but I know where I want it to go. And so functionally, that's an outline. It's 60% of the way done. The red check mark, which is roughly 90% of the way done, it, it, it has everything. And then I take that and I do a Thursday focus group where I run through the sermon. And that'll be like the last update from, usually I do that on Thursday Come in here, spend an hour to update it after that, print it off, and I'm done. I don't look at it again until Saturday night. Till Saturday night. And so, like, there's a check mark. I was a pole vaulter back in the day while you were playing basketball. I was a pole vaulter. And everyone looks at a pole vaulter and sees, like, how they jump over the bar. But what they don't see is there are three check marks on the runway. And so, there's a check mark that's roughly 14 steps back from where you're going to start, or 16, depending on how long your stick is and all that kind of stuff. But so, from where you're starting, and then there's a check mark for where your second right. So the second time your right foot hits the ground, there's another check mark where you want to make sure your, your foot hits there. And then all the way in front of the pit where you're jumping off, like there's a takeoff mark. And so you want to hit each of those marks and then everyone sees what you do, but what they don't realize is all those things before that are actually what prepared you for success. That's amazing. I, I, I love that because I think most communicators have their pole vaulting story. For me, I have some basketball ones in that, in the development, into the film room, into like, you know, watching the teach on the backside to figure out which ways I can get better at. Uh, But like, I love that. And just to see the different checks, when do you actually begin? Is it Monday morning or is it, you know, five weeks? Oh no! How far do you start? I typically want to work on one sermon one day each week. Okay. Because I like to just like have it in the brain and I think the brain works to completion. Yeah. And so it's like a crockpot. Like I think you put it in there, leave it, come back the next week and then I'm going to pick it back up. And then I, I like the different ideas that I can focus on on the different days. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm an Enneagram 7. I like the, like the uniqueness of each one. And so uh, I, I'll work on... Four different sermons this week. Okay, so play that out from a schedule-wise. Like Monday morning, you're in, on. you've got that one that's coming. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm ahead right now because I'm coming off study break, which yeah. is why you're in here preaching. Thanks for that. Um, so I'm a little bit ahead, but typically on Wednesday, I'll do the one two weeks out and make sure that's finalized. Thursday, it's the final run through. Monday and Tuesday, it's whichever one. Sure. But I, I've been doing this for so long. I just, I write sermons every day and I, I put in some amount of work. Uh, last Sunday, uh, I had a guest speaker in and then I flew to LA. Well, I'm on a plane and I'm, I, I did two check marks on the plane, like, because it was a three hour flight to LA. And so it didn't matter which one it is. For me, it's always like, you just have to, have to put your 500 words in every day. That's, that's a reference to Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. It's like, great book. Every day you do something and you're rewarded for showing up. And so every day I'm doing something for any sermon. And honestly, like at this point, I've done this for so long, it doesn't matter which one I'm doing because I'm just getting further and further ahead. So you really live by the 500 words. I, I, yes, I write, yes. And- you know, for those of you listening, Luke is prolific when it comes to podcasts. One of the first actual podcasters that I would start listening to, and we were just talking today, like, uh, he's done over 500. That's, <laughs> so this, that's a lot. Yeah, like every week. Just it's been, obsessive. Been, yeah. you know, and so, um, and then also written two great books. We'll talk about that more later. But like, I, the, the 500 words, that could be you just just kind of chopping it up over some concept from Matthew 5 and the commentaries or the questions, or that could be 500 words of you just telling a story, um, or is there more to it? When I'm like writing a book, it could be as um, like open-ended and as nebulous as that. Like it could be just, it yeah. doesn't matter what it is, uh, especially the early book writing sites. You just got to get something on the paper. For this, like I know what I want each one to get to at each part. Like I want to know, hey, this is, first day, I, the text work has to be done. Maybe a couple big ideas that you have in bold so that next time you pick it up, you go, okay, this is where mm. I'm going. So it, it's progress somewhere in the series, especially I, I write series now like all together instead of like individually. And so I, I might have something that's going to go in a completely different sermon, but it's still Sermon on the Mount. And I know it's going to go in there. And maybe initially I thought that story was going to go, you know, the Beatitudes, but instead I used it at the very end, you know? So it. I think there's flexibility when you have the discipline to do it every day. Yeah. Totally. And so I'm flexible enough to go wherever. And the same way, like for me with uh, podcasting, like I'll read a book, I'll I'll have the big ideas of what I want to talk about. Uh, honestly, if you grab a copy of your book, whichever, I think I read a rough copy of it, but like you, you just see notes on the front page. Like you pick up most of these books in here that I were using a podcast and I don't have a formula. I go, I'm going to talk to this one first and this one second. It's just like, I know these different moves that I can get to yeah. and it doesn't matter how I get there. So talk about the moves when you're doing a narrative text. So mm-hmm. you, you, um, you, you're doing the Sermon on the Mount and you, you pull this one kind of chunk, which is fantastic, you're talking about salt, the earth. Um, what are, are there questions that formulate within that you're like, I have to answer these when you're just going after a text or are you kind of like trying to, Listen to man, what's the what's the soul of this? Mm. Or like, what do you have framing questions that you like every time the same yeah, questions? Yeah, yeah, that you look for. I I don't like. Okay. Do you have the same like? You have main questions you get to each time. I'm I, I'm I'm constantly looking for like, where's the ache? What's the good desire that can come out of this? Uh-huh. And then what's the cultural stronghold that this could actually? Yeah. If if people were to embody salt to the earth or to like let their light shine, yeah, yeah. What would that actually do? with isolation or what would that do huh. with, but it's just, it's, it's me trying to figure out felt need, good desires. Cause I think people want to actually yeah. be salt of the earth. They don't always know how. Yeah, yeah. And if they did it, what, what kind of promise 
uh, in this world of brokenness, like would they be able to, huh. but it's just there. It doesn't mean every text gets is going to get it, but it just helps me go like, just constantly look for the, the energy or the, hmm. the, the feeling or the emotion. Yeah. No, I like that. That makes sense. What's the ache? What's the, like, I, I'm thinking through the sermon I heard you preach today. I'm going, okay, yeah, you got the cultural analysis down. Yeah. Like you did the exegesis of the culture. You, application is very strong. Yeah. The ache up front, like, yeah, like I, I see exactly yeah. how you did that. And that came through really well. Yeah. I, as I've told you before, like I think your application stuff is an area for me to grow into. I think that's mm. like you're really strong there, and that's something that I'm constantly going. Okay, I, I know I can get better with this. So I, I like the way you you approach it. I typically don't have questions yeah. when I go into it, other than my own curiosity. Like whatever pops up, and I'm just going to follow that. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying it's the right way to do it or not, but it's just yeah. the only way I've ever done it. Just it, the same thing with the like the podcast. I remember hearing Bill Simmons. Yeah. Talk about early in his podcast career, he got pitched um, like Jimmy Stewart, some NASCAR guy, and because he was a big name, they're like, "Oh, this is gonna be good for me." And Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Stewart's "It's a Wonderful Life," but Jimmy, <laughs> did you hear that? Did okay. you hear that, <laughs> Jimmy I, Stewart? Okay, I don't do NASCAR, but it might be Jimmy Stewart. I don't know. Who, I think Jimmy knows? Johnson, but I, it could Steve be. Steve Stewart is one of my elders <laughs> who said your sermon was great, and he asked if Willow Creek was a Church of Christ church. I said, "No, it's not," but he said the sermon was great. Um, nevertheless. Um, Bill Simmons has this big name yeah. NASCAR driver on. It's a big enough name for me to forget. It's so big, I can't even hold on to it. Big name guy. He does it, podcast was terrible. And he said afterwards, I realized, I don't ever want to have an interview with someone that I'm not passionate to talk to. Yeah. And I think that's like the, the authenticity, the humanity in a sermon is like, you have to care about it. And yeah. if it's a text that you don't care about, it's going to show through. And I think that's why I have to do this like so far in advance because I want to make sure I'm really passionate and I have a chance to live this out. Like I'm doing some stuff on parenting or that was my last series. And the nice thing is like writing like this 10 weeks out, it's like, oh, I, I've got two and a half months to be a good parent. So I don't feel like a complete fake. Instead of being like Thursday night, hey kids, we're going to pray tonight for the first time ever. It's like, well, at least you have two and a half months to fake it before right. you get there. Right. And so that's, it's just like, I, I want to give it time to become authentic with me. Yeah. Well, I think that is something that I do sense with you is you are so genuinely curious. Like, it, it, you know, when I listen to your podcast and I, I hear the questions that you ask, I just realize like that's an actual skill, not just to be able to, to ask somebody questions, but to go like, man, this is, this is what excites me. And also in the back of my mind go, this is how or what could actually be exciting or encouraging, or convicting, or inspiring, or challenging for your congregation, and mm. and and I think you do that really well. It's one of the things I most appreciate is you take a phrase like in this last teach, the salt of the earth, and you take that phrase and and there's a there's a sense in it where you're like, I didn't know what that phrase meant, mm. and then you talk about the cultural analysis. We always think of it means character, but then you break it down to the real function of like what it means to be. Uh, people in the kingdom of God, like the people of God. And then you bring it to this story of an Afghan refugee hmm. that you that you meet. And and you didn't but but the way that you came across this person was through other contacts from a friend. Talk about that because again it, it just it's it's a it's this mixture of curiosity, which every communicator, if you're an emerging voice, if you're not curious, yeah. you're gonna miss out on what's deep. But then it's also your connecting the dots ability out of that curiosity that I think is 
next level. Oh. It's literally next level. But but talk about this Afghan story because I think it's really really beautiful. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, and that story is like deeply uh, like deeply meaningful because it was. It was one where it was almost so personal, like I didn't want to include it. Yeah. And it, I'd rather say, oh, you know, Luke's a dumb dad who forgot to do something. Like, that's an easy story for me to tell. But, like, this one was, like, heavy. And um, for your listeners, what happened, one day I'm in my office. I'm just grinding away. And, uh, you know, I'm finishing up. It's 530 or something like that. And I've just blinds closed, doors shut. I'm just working, just loving my life. I, I love getting to, to study scripture and write. Like it's just, I'm so grateful I get to do that. Step out of my office. I walk down three, three doors down. Uh, Terrible band. <laughs> but uh, my friend Ram John is in there and he's got a buddy who I've never seen before and he's sitting in there. And R- Ram John is from Rwanda and his friend is Afghani and they play soccer together. And so I introduced him myself. Hey, what's going on? This is back when a lot of the stuff with Afghanistan was starting to go down. And I didn't know anything about it. Like, I, I'm not on Fox News or CNN, like, all day long. And so I, I, I didn't fully have an understanding of the, the breadth of the, just the tragedy that was happening. And I meet this guy, Javed, who's telling me about his story. And his brother had been killed. He was a reporter because um, he spoke out against someone. And now he's got four sisters who are back in Afghanistan. They're trying to get him out. And how do you get him out? I don't know. And so I was just like, hey, can, can I just share this on social media? I don't, I don't know what to do. And um, you know, I, I put on social media, got connected to some friends who had some connections, people who uh, had been working for years in the refugee community, uh, people who uh, military over there, um, and we worked and worked and worked. And I think the time of the story, like I, I just, I, I didn't have an answer. And I, if you, at, at one point, I had visas and um, passports and documents and pictures and descriptions of all the family members who were trying to get out, and I didn't know what I'm doing. Looking. It, it, Farsi, I don't know Farsi. I don't understand how to do any of this stuff, but I'm just trying. I'm just trying to follow leads. And I just got to the point where I was like, I, I don't think I have a solution for this. I, I, let me say that again. I knew I didn't have a solution for this. And I was disappointed, crestfallen, uh, just because like, Java's a nice guy, like a young man who's, he's the kind of guy you're like, wow, uh, th- that's a person of character, right? Like he worked so hard to try to get his sisters out. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think the story I told like just kind of leaves and I wanted to do something and overwhelmed and I don't know how the story ends. Yeah. But you were here today and you saw the rest of the story. And yeah. uh, you know, for your audience, maybe I'll, I think it's all right to say this, but um, Javed had uh, four sisters. Uh, two of them passed away. They were at the airport when there was an explosion um, in, uh, I guess it was maybe in August, a year and a half ago. And um, like I... The text messages are haunting. Um, hey, can you do something? The Taliban's like they're 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 hitting my family. They're hurting them, and we haven't heard from two sisters. And we're reaching and reaching out and nothing. And um, uh, I mean, silver line of the story is that one of his sisters was at church today, yeah. and he was there. And there's cousins and other family members that have appeared. And the beautiful thing about our church is like there's a group of people that kind of just hey, there's a problem, there's a need. We want to be friends. And so now one of the ladies, uh, I don't know if you got to meet her or not, but they referred to her as like grandma. Yeah. And it's really beautiful. And these sweet people who've gone through just the worst, like literally, like there's, uh, I'm saying that obviously Rwanda's just as bad what happened there as well. But um, 
to see that and then yeah. to see it now go, wow, like you, you preached and looked out and you saw nine, 10 oh, easy. people. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. And the cool thing is like, they weren't just sitting in one row. Like no. there's a couple different places yep. and you know, obviously like there's some different uh, head attire than you would see for most yep. Westerners, but you could go, oh wow. Like they, they're here and yeah. like they're, you can notice that, wow, this is, this is the rest of the story. Well, and it's fun because, you know, I, I, I love being a student of preaching and to be able to watch uh, and hear you deliver a message. And, and I had heard this story and I knew that this was a sermon I wanted to, to kind of unpack because um, mm-hmm. I just liked, I liked, I liked the, the cultural, I liked, I liked the storytelling because you actually tell this young man's story, but it, it doesn't end with, and we got all four of them out, and we got da da da. Like it, yeah. it, you were you were setting up the point of the function of being salt of the earth um, is is also really messy, yeah, and it's really hard. But mm-hmm. it, it's but there's this sense within us that of what we believe this world to be, mm-hmm. and and we have to work towards that. Yeah. And and so like I just thought from listening to that sermon months ago, oh like. You know, I don't not sure how that fully ends. Yeah. And then I get done teaching. And probably the second person I meet today is this young man. And then I meet his sister next to the grandma that, you yeah. know, and she's and her her words to me was amazing. She goes, I'm just wanna say I'm sorry. I wasn't on my phone, um, but I'm translating for mm-hmm. uh, others that aren't able to be here, mm-hmm. um, and I want them to know <laughs> this message, and I, and just the heart of that, and just go, mm-hmm. gosh, this Westover is becoming mm-hmm. this salt of the earth, light of the nations kind of community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just it just was full, it was a real beautiful full circle, but in that delivery, you have this curiosity, you're able to connect dots to from salt to mm-hmm. uh, Palestinian culture to uh, this this real life example. But you also held it and you held the tension. Mm-hmm. Um, most people wouldn't do that. I'm curious about that. Like huh. I think most I think most people are gonna look for just to make it feel better. Yeah. And and I think that you um, do a great job of holding that tension of like and again, Austin, I would assume, is just a, with UT here, just a really, really smart city in, in so many ways. Culturally, uh, it's, you know, it's like, it's like Portland always, everyone always says, I feel like in so many yeah, ways, yeah, yeah. you know, with music. And, but like, I just, you weren't afraid of the tension. No. Is that, is that something that when you are crafting messages, you're, you're looking for how far I, how far does this tension can I extend it? Can I? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Does that? Does that? No. Resonate? No. I think that's. Sense? I think that's honest. To like to my lived experience. Yeah. And so I want to be honest to to my experience, and I I don't know. I think as William James talked about, like um, winter Christians and summer Christians, huh. and like some people are like who are more like, hey, it's it's Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday, which like that's the story of Christianity. But some of us feel like we're more stuck in Good Friday, and you're like. Yeah, but we're it, it, it's the here but not yet kind of stuff like that eschatological yeah. eschatological tension that we're in. Yes, and you know, for me, it's I, I don't know if it's growing up with a mom with you know chronic illness mm-hmm. and just going, oh yeah, cool, it'd be nice if this got better, and it never did. And just going that that's my lived experience. My dad's uh, psychologist who helps people with chronic illnesses, and you go, 
that's going to influence the way I see the world is like, that's, yeah. that's the world I grew up in. And I, I'm not the only one who, who ever had something that wasn't like a picture perfect childhood. I mean, that's, that's life for most of us. But for me, just to be authentic to my experience of faith, it's always going to be there. It's, yeah. it's always going to be messy. And, you know, some people really connect to the, like a nice, neat package message that, Hey, I, I just need the good news. I'm going to get through the week, and I, by no means, like dumping on someone else because that connects to them. But it's just not me. Yeah. And so I, I can only be who I am. Yep. And I, I want to try to like stretch my preaching so that I can connect to everyone. And and I don't want to make this just about me. But I also know that you know Matthew writes a gospel to Jewish people. Like that's that's his thing. That's how he's going to write. And Paul he writes to to people in Rome, and so he writes in that context. He writes to Philippians and gives them the you're not citizens of, of this world, but like you have a different citizenship. Like he's writing to people because he knows their lived experience. And uh, like, I, I'm just trying to be faithful to yeah. how I see the world. This is fascinating. I, I've never heard anybody talk about it like this, this lived experience. What do you do when your lived experience uh, is, is, is fraught with pain or silence from yeah. God or sadness or disappointment. How do you how do you not let that leak out on the on the stage and also stay wildly open to almost seeing that lived experience be stretched within you. Yeah. Does yeah, that yeah. make sense? Well I think that's a discipline of having preaching that's not just based on like, hey, this is my quiet time this week and so I'm going to tell you. And so there's something like, there's a discipline about preaching through a book or like our more high church friends with uh, preaching through the liturgical calendar. Like you have some accountability to something that transcends you. And so I try to find rhythms of things that uh, aren't just what I think and what I like. Yeah. And so I want it to be honest to me, but sometimes the reason I have 10 weeks, the, the next 10 sermons up there is like, I need a two and a half months to get behind that. Yeah. And there's some sermons that I can preach that five minutes after reading the text. I've got that one. I've been living that one. Other ones are like, <laughs> you're going to give me two months and I can get there. Yeah. But th- that's how I can be faithful is I think you give it time and eventually I think the spirit can give you something to say. Because like you said, like I don't want to reduce it to just my lived experience. Right, right. And I remember in, in seminary, I had a professor who said, you know, if I ever preach discipleship just to what I'm living up to, then I'm selling it short. And like 20-year-old sophomoric Luke was like, oh, you're not a real Christian. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is like a 50-year-old man who's been doing work in the church yeah. for three decades. Yeah. And at the time I was like, oh, this guy's he needs to read his Bible more. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, Luke, no, you just need to be like, grow up. And that's, that's where I am. That's so good. Um, the, the, the piece I'm curious too about that is... There is your lived experience. And then as a, as a shepherd and pastor and preacher, you have a pulse or an ear to your congregation's lived experience. Yeah. How, how do you run that tension of, you probably, you know, stuff that you're processing through could become a great after Easter sermon series, 2023, yeah. 2024. But there's stuff in your congregation that maybe you see. How, how do you discern, oh, this is a good little biopic of what God's teaching me in this season or stretching me. This is like what our congregation needs to hear. Need, yeah. do, you, do you have like a liturgy per se of like, <laughs> hey, here are some seasons. Like you're doing a parenting series coming up. Yeah. Like is there, there are pockets where you're like, 
hey, this is just what I've heard in our congregation yeah. time and time again, and we got to we got to spend a few weeks. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, no, 100%. We do this uh, prayer of the people exercise, which comes from like our high church friends. But it's really like we just pass out cards and say, what do you need to pray about? And there's one that's on the board and it says, uh, I'm thankful that God is allowing me to find the joy in living and in dying. That's, that card wow. came in three months ago, I think. And I'm doing a series about that, like built around that card in August. And so it's not really like that timely because it's been yeah. like three months, but th- that's one way where it's like, I listen and I go, wow, there's something here. Uh, in my lunch group, uh, I had um, a beloved uh, woman named Amy who told her story. And I was like, this is the, like, this is the prodigal son story. Mm. And I saved that and a couple months later. We did it three or four weeks in the prodigal son, uh, used Henry Now and stuff, on, yeah. which is just brilliant. Like had the... Uh, who's who did the painting that's so famous? Rembrandt. That, yeah, yeah. I, like I had a print off that was on my board for a couple, uh, maybe a month and a half as I was writing that. Just like, oh yeah, right there. But it's taking those stories and just holding on to them. Yeah, and just listening. And it's like the same thing with like podcasting. Like I'm, I'm reading your book and I'm hearing and going, okay, there's something in here I can do this with. Or, or even one of the stories of yours that I've told in a sermon is your story, the Jalen Rose story oh, about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked about it on my podcast. We talk about it here. Um, I'm just telling you that that wasn't a question. I, I probably should more of a question. But you told that story about like dad's not walking in, and so I'm going to hold on. And it doesn't matter if we make the big dance. It doesn't make it if we make the final four. Like he's not walking in, and like how that was motivated. Like I, I wrote that down. I was like, hey, I can use that in a couple mm-hmm. months, or I yeah. can use that maybe. I think I use that within a month and a half of after you telling me that. Yeah, and so. Part of this board for me is like you have the folders to drop stuff in. Yeah. And so it gives you a category to go, okay, this is a theme. I'm going to write it down. And if it gets worked in the, the week of, cool. But at least I have an idea for where I can go. Well, I love the idea of the prayers of the people because that's a, it's a, it's a great <clears throat> one discipline to be praying for the people. But it's also great like to feel that ache and yeah, yeah, yeah. of what people are like, oh, this could be... A sermon series, but you're so right of having the different places and outlets to take a concept, to take an idea, to have a place to process it, whether that Thursday group or um, to be able to have the board to to check it off. But you're, it's like you can show your work, and you yeah. can, and and that work and that structure, I think, actually breeds freedom for more ideas, more creativity, mm-hmm. more opportunity for it to marinate within. You do it. Talk more about that Thursday lunch. Um, mm-hmm. You you shared that that's where you do a run through. Yeah. How many? Is it the same people every time? No. Um, and give credit where credit is due. Rob Bell told me this. Yeah. I was in LA the week before my first Sunday here, and seven years ago. Yeah, seven seven years, seven years ago. ago. And I happened to have lunch with Rob, and he said that's what he did. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. Like I. I got to the airport, got to LAX after our lunch. I called Nancy, who's the assistant I get to work with. And I said, hey, can you get like some people for lunch tomorrow? Doesn't matter who it is, but I'm gonna do a rough draft of my sermon. And the first week she gets 20 people to show up the day after. And I was like, the day after I called her, I was like, okay, let's, let's tone that down a little bit. A uh, little- Expensive lunch. A little, little <laughs> eager. No, I don't pay for it. Like I tell them to brown bag it. Like this isn't- <laughs> That's awesome. I don't have that Willow budget. Come on, man. I don't have that Marcel budget either. <laughs> and so Nancy just has- um, she just reached out to people, hey, five of you to come in, doesn't matter who it is, um, anyone's welcome. And then what I do is tell them, hey, you can eat your lunch, but I'm going to go through a rough draft of my sermon, which means like I'm going to read a lot of it, yeah. don't have it memorized. 
And then first 30 minutes is me talking, second 30 minutes is them talking. And so I've just got a couple questions I go through. Uh, first one is if you had to, um, if you go to lunch with someone who didn't hear that sermon for some reason, let's say they're in the children's ministry, what is your 15 second answer to the question? What was that sermon about? Genius. That's the first one. And so that tells me, what am I trying to say? Are they hearing it? Did it connect? Okay. The next question is something like, if you had to remember the sermon in six to eight weeks, what story, illustration, verse uh, would you remember? Which is another way of saying like, what was the stickiest part for you? And so I'm asking, okay, what part really connects it to you? And then um, the third one is like, what was bad about the sermon? Um, like what didn't connect? What did, would you want me to develop more? Um, and I'm basically saying, hey, what, what's wrong? And every time I ask those questions, like I go around the room, people answer, and I'm asking follow-up questions. If I have a specific story, like, hey, does this work or not? Did you hear this? And so I'm just just running through everything with them. And I tell them, uh, whatever you say in here becomes my intellectual property. <laughs> so if you say it, I own it. And they all laugh about it. But I'm like, I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, I like that because there's a, an old, old preacher a uh, hundred years ago uh, he wrote a book, Jew It. Uh, Ken Davis, who's a mentor, used to always tell me this, is that uh, if you can't, Jew It would say, if you can't preach your message in one sentence, yeah. it's not ready to be preached. And and what you're doing in 15 seconds is trying to see, was I more clever than clear? Oh, that's a and, good line. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that clarity of like, oh, this is it. And uh, I think is so, so helpful. It's sometimes, do you ever like leave those times Fired up, like I, I'm so I excited. Yeah. I got some. This yeah. is this is amazing. Yeah. And if you, do you ever leave those times going? Oh, this is this is not the way I thought it was going to go. Well, I, those are like uh, I'm locking the door. Don't bother me for the next two hours. We're going to fix this. Yeah. And usually, like I get a lot of great stuff from yeah. those people. And here's one of the things I found out is that most people don't know how to fix a sermon but they know how to tell you when it's wrong. Ah, oh, that's good. And so, like, I don't expect them to solve the problem, but if you tell me where the problem is, like, I can work on that. And yeah, but even if it's wrong, like I figured it out up front. And it's like preseason, like you figure, okay, this lineup doesn't work. Well, we'll change the lineup yes. for the regular season. Yes. Or in the NBA, like regular season is functioning the preseason. We'll get you ready for the playoffs. I want to get that basketball metaphor for you correct. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I feel way more confident. Yeah. And during COVID, I did a couple of these, but I was like, I- I'm over Zoom. Yeah. Like I did two or three, like it's me standing in my living room and I'm literally on this air track, which is like a like a little tumbling mat. So my 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 cheerleading daughters could like do their passes yeah. in our living room and I'm standing on it and like my TV's in the background. I'm like, this is trash. I just don't want to do it. But um, when I started back doing these again, I was like, oh wow, like I feel so much mm. more relieved going into Sunday because you've already taught it. Like yeah. you already know where the, like the, the points that connect to our humanity is. Like you know what, what, what works. It's just, you leave the office. And honestly, it helps me because I take Fridays off. Yeah. And so I can relax on Friday because I already know what I got. That's right. That's right. And when you have, and I love that you have different people come in and are able to, to really kind of break down. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the same person who knows yeah. you with it. You know, it's like everyone's got fresh eyes on it, yeah, which yeah. is pretty cool. That's, that's amazing. Well, to be fair though, and I hope my church isn't listening to this, but I do have like the frequent flyer club, yeah. which are what, like these always give good feedback. So they're getting called in they're for good. Easter. Like <laughs> Easter, like they, they, you guys are the best ones if you get that Easter invite. <laughs> it's awesome. That's awesome. One <laughs> um, of the pieces and a little bit of a shift to, to the character uh, piece, you're, you have a playfulness about you. Like you, you'll joke, you'll, uh, there's a real lightness to, um, like how you take yourself. I don't, I, I just, 
I feel like you take yourself so seriously. Uh, you you love people. You're um, you really really care. There's this this genuine peace. And a couple years ago, like right right during the time of COVID, I feel like COVID dropped, and then your book yeah. came. Was it like when when did it come out? Two weeks? It two came, months? It was May. It was May. Yeah, it's like two months after after COVID, right? When did COVID started when Rudy March. Gobert touched all the microphones? Is there? Regular season, right? Yeah, 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 March, yeah, yeah. yep. So, yeah. yeah, March, April, like two months after that, yeah. It, you write this book, Befriending Your Monsters. And I I got a hold of it. Man, I think it was, I was so in trying to finish up Thing Beneath the Thing. Yeah. Um, I, it had been, somebody had gotten it for me, sent it to me. I I end up going through a, a run of reading just after you're done writing. You're like, oh my goodness. And I was like, the thing beneath the thing and befriending your monsters could be like siblings. yeah. There's like and there's things that you went a total different direction that I was like, oh my goodness, this is this is so so good. And I love the the emotional health piece. I, I love digging deeper into the why. I love just the the concept. Talk a little bit about this because I do think uh, as pastors and communicators, um, we've we've like almost silenced. And shamed those monsters. The title alone, befriending your monsters, mm-hmm. um, and and how that relates to a pastor and a character. Talk yeah. about that. Well, yes. When I read your book after mine had been out, I was like, "Yep, it's this is just the cooler version of it." You did <laughs> like your cover is so good, and so that's I was like, "Yep, that's he. He won. He got the better cover." But you're right; it's like the same idea because yeah. your monsters typically monsters are underneath your bed. Yep. Uh, the thing beneath the thing, like everyone looks at you know what's on the surface, but what's presenting isn't often what the problem is. And so as a pastor, like, I think everyone has to ask, like, what's motivating you? Like, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to like fix? What are you trying to solve? Like there was, um, when I was in in, in college, we had this intramural sport called water ball, which like, it's kind of like water polo, but it's more like wrestling. (laughs) And, uh, like I was a high school wrestler. So it was like my favorite intramural sport. And I always knew like some people get in the water and it was just like, Hey, we're, we're getting after this. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of violence in it. No striking, of course, but it's like you push people underneath the water till they let like, go of the ball. But there's some people that would come in there and be like, dude, your dad didn't tell you he loved you enough. Like, calm down. Like, <laughs> go go call your father. Get out of the water. Don't play this game. Go talk to your dad yeah. and work that out. Yeah. Like, and I think all of us are doing that. Like on mm-hmm. stage, like as a preacher, like you have a huge temptation. I have a huge temptation yeah. to to use that as a way to work out some issue. And I don't know what I want to work out this week or next week, but it's always there. And so there's always something that that we have a propensity uh, to use church to solve for us. Mm. And if I don't ask that question for myself and go, okay, what... What are you running from? What are you escaping? Like I'm a seven, I love to escape. I'm yeah. very good at it. One of the best, honestly. Um, I'm like the three of escaping. Like I am so successful <laughs> about it. Uh, but it could be that. Like yeah. I, I come here and like if you preach a decent sermon, people in church are typically nice and affable and they want to sell, tell you good job. Yeah. It's easy to go, hey, you know what? I might've been a jerk to my wife and and not thoughtful to my kids, but you know, they say I'm a good guy. Yeah. And now they see just a tiny fraction of who you are, yeah. but if your craft is good enough, you can ignore your character. Yeah. And you, the way you the way you set this, this book up, um, it was the second section that really, really got me. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, like all good, but then the way that you had titled it, um, the three, it's like the three. Uh, the three monsters. Yeah, that's just it's like comparison. Yeah, 
and it just you you like went after these three yeah in a level of detail and i i was oh, i've always been curious i never asked you this why did you choose those three what was it about comparison was success success and more and more yeah well first of all i, I think part of the idea comes from in different cultures and different continents, you have similar monsters that appear. And so you have like the Kraken or the Watermark, uh, the Water Monsters, like there's very different, varied names across different, yeah. even Native American tribes like have their own version of that. Um, and I think it speaks to the fact that there are the same problems that we all deal with. There's nothing new under the sun. Like yeah. we're all struggling with the same stuff. And so part of it was just the work as a pastor and going, I- I've heard so many people struggle with this. Yeah. And, you know, as a seven, it's more like I, like I live in more, yeah. like that is my, like my jam. I yeah. go to, but comparison has been real too. Like you're a pastor and like early on, I followed a guy named Matt Chandler yeah. and like, that's really great for your self-esteem when you're 21 and you're like, Oh wow! Like this guy's like a like a, a shooting star. Like there are just a handful of guys yeah. who can communicate like like him. And honestly, since then, of all the preachers I've been around, there's maybe two or three that are as good yeah. communicators yeah. as him. And so early on, it's like, oh wow, I'm comparing myself to this person because I, I didn't know how to judge if I'm doing well or not. And mm-hmm. so the easiest thing was like, who's this woman or who's this man in front of me preaching? And I'm going to be a preacher too. So I'm just going to gauge my success off who they are. Yeah. And so I think I went with those because they're, they're honestly, they're, they're me, but also I've, I think a lot of us just struggle with the same stuff. I don't yeah. think there's really much new underneath the sun. Yeah. Well, and I think, especially I think in pastoral ministry, you can start out with such, um, such good desires. Yeah, they good desires. I want. I want to help someone. I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to help someone find uh, a life in Christ. I want to. I want to. I want to be there to to pray. And and it's like these these monsters just start to appear. That yeah. you're looking to the right, and you're like, why do they seem farther ahead? And you look to the left, and why 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 does that church seem to be bigger? Yeah, yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's like it's it it feels outside you, but it's it's actually you feel it all in your body of i think i i feel like i i should i should have more yeah maybe i'm not doing a good enough job and mm-hmm. it's like all these loops start coming and i and you know i've said this before on this podcast i when i was at willow the the i couldn't stand like 115 every sunday cuz when i got the the attendance numbers and the budget oh. numbers <laughs> and you're just like once somehow you're already fragile right oh, yeah, you yeah, preach totally totally and somehow like that number, you could have, oh man, God was working, it was amazing. And you're like, oh, I really thought there were more people there this weekend. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the like, ridiculous thing is like the attendance really would be on last Sunday's sermon. Like, or, like right. yeah, you know? That's actually true, that's actually true, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's all of that piece though that you're like, I gotta know how to, and I think for so long I shamed them, I didn't know how to befriend them. Oh, wow. And I just, I like, I stuffed them mm-hmm. and I, I just was like, make them go away. Just don't feel that like, or go, you know, but until I could actually go, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm feeling this. Yeah. Um, talk about that because I think that there's, there are, I'm sure even one of those that are, someone's listening, a comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I desire for more, which for me, the, what I've had to ask myself is how much is enough? Yeah. How much is enough ups teaching? How much is enough money? How much is enough followers on Instagram? How much is, an, how much is enough? Mm. 
And for so long, I was so afraid to answer that question because scarcity was driving me. So, so then the success piece, but like, what are, give us some handles on that. Um, Because I really think every pastor should read Befriending Your Monster. I think it's just a really, really helpful book to like step out of fear, step into light. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I want you to explain to me when enough is enough because I would probably need to read that book because, uh, you know, I might've written a chapter about it, but that's still an ongoing struggle for me where like it never seems like there's enough. And it always like presents like as a new new form. Like there's a real sick thing about a podcast. Uh, I use Podbean, which is a host that I've used for a long time. They used to sponsor me. So I really liked them back then. Now they don't pay me anymore. So I don't. But like the first time I started the podcast, I didn't realize you could track I, like listens, like I didn't know. And so the, when I'm starting the podcast, again, this is eight and a half, nine years ago when I'm starting. So it's like the dark ages. And I started podcast, like like they just weren't around. Yeah. And so I'm a couple of weeks in, I realized, oh wow, you can track numbers for this. This is cool. And so I start looking at that. And so every day I'm thinking, oh wow, like I'm finally gonna get a thousand downloads in one day. And like, I'm looking every day, like I'm, well, maybe if I'd put two out and like one's gonna be late at night and one's the next morning, like I I was just being stupid. And then finally the day came and I got a thousand downloads on a podcast. And I was like, this is awesome. Cause the graph was like zero to a thousand. Like that's all it showed. And I got the thousand downloads and I thought there was gonna be like confetti and explosions and uh, like Annie Downs, like with the confetti thing going off. (laughs) Yay, like, right, we're best friends now or something. and. What they did instead is they just changed the graph. And all of a sudden, they didn't go from zero to 1,000, went from zero to 5,000 or zero to 10,000 or whatever number that was just like, wait a minute, I, I thought I just got to that point. And for me, it's always like, there's always gonna be more. Like there's always gonna be the next level that you can get to. Oh, wow, you wrote a book, cool. What about, can you write a third book? Or, yeah. or you can, you, you did this, but what about that? Yeah. And it, there, there's always more. And one of the things I'm, I'm learning is that in those monsters, the way that they appear, saying that you're not enough or saying that you need more or saying that you're not successful enough, is I think there's actually an invitation that exists within them. Mm. And you know, recently I've been struggling with some resentment stuff. And over the last two weeks, I've really had this epiphany about like resentment is a reminder that I need to carve out the internal space to withstand criticism because that's always going to happen. And second of all, it needs to be an a reminder that whenever those like that resentment pops up, like you have to acknowledge that it exists. You can't just stuff it down, but you only can give it 15 seconds. Yeah. And that's a there's only a, so much time that you can mess around with it. Otherwise, it takes over. And so I'm learning to see these things as an invitation that God is underneath them, like that God is using and working in all things for the good, even in these like fear-driven sort of thoughts that pop in my head. Um but I know if I give them too much space and you don't befriend them, but instead you try to get rid of them or pretend like they don't exist or just ignore them and yeah. just let them grow, what's gonna happen is like they're gonna take over. Because evil doesn't just like all of a sudden go from zero to 100. It starts small and it grows, right? The old, the old expression, like you, you give the devil an inch and he doesn't stop till he has a mile or whatever yeah. the expression is. But evil enters your door first as a guest, but it doesn't leave until it set itself up as a master. Wow. So when it's a guest, learn from it, but yeah. don't let it become a master. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Luke, thank you. Thanks for that. I, I think that that just hits me. You know, and, and I think the maybe for some of you listening, that the resentment piece, or maybe for some of you, uh, you have a you have something in your life that you've just allowed that guest to come, and you have to remember that guest is wanting to be a master. Yeah. Um, I always, I always want our people 
when they're listening to this podcast to 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 think about one one piece, one hmm. one kind of thing that they can go, man, I, I can put this into practice um, this coming Sunday. Okay. What what for you? If I if I just said, hey, because I love you, I love the way you teach, I love the way you communicate and pastor. There's one bit of information that you're like, hey, maybe you said it, maybe you haven't said it, maybe you want one more stab at saying hmm. it. That you would say, hey, for all the listeners of Crafting Character, um, you know, do this. All right, okay. This is kind of a ridiculous thing that I haven't like publicly ever talked about, um, and so we'll put it on here. Uh, so don't ever talk to me about this in public. I want to pretend like it didn't happen, but I want to be <laughs> honest for a second because this is what I got. For uh, I wrestled in high school, and about two and a half years ago, I got back into grappling, and so I've been training jujitsu. And one of the things about the culture in jujitsu is that you always bow before you walk on the mat, mm. and before you walk off the mat, you bow uh, before you like step off into normal, like put your shoes back on and stop trying to hurt people. I realized that I would bow every time I walked on the mat at jujitsu, and I would always like bow, and I'd say, "I'm just thankful to be here." Every time I do that, before class, I'd walk off afterwards. And, hey, I'm so thankful I got to do that. And I realized, dude, you, you do that at jujitsu, right? Like where you're just rolling around in ancient Japanese pajamas while you're trying to choke your friends. And I started like had this sense like, you need to do something about that at church. And so when I preach, before I walk on, I, like I do a bow before I step on the stage wow. and I go, I'm grateful to be here. And then when I walk off, we have uh, like a little door that I can kind of like do a backstage exit. Yeah. And so, so I don't want to like make a scene of it. So I go, I exit the stage through the back and I walk out the back and no one can see me in the back of the house. And I bow and I go, I'm grateful for this. And that's all that was. Because mm. I found myself, especially during COVID, like I would preach a sermon and I didn't feel good about it and I'd take it home with me. Wow. And so I walk on stage with gratitude. And when I leave, I go, I'm grateful I got to do that, but it's over and I'm going to go home now. Wow. And it was good or it was bad, it doesn't matter, like it's done. And so that was kind of like me, like closing the chapter. I put all the work in, I've been working on this for weeks. I put on my hours, I've memorized it, which is what I do, doesn't mean everyone has to do that. I, I, I worked with my people, I did the best I could, I respected the process, but it's over. And so don't take it home and don't second guess and don't regret and don't shoulda, woulda, coulda yourself into ruining your time with your family, um, but it's over. It's over. And you've given your gift, you're grateful to do it and move on. Man, that's a great word. I love that. I love, love, love that. Well, say that. Say it one more time. I'm grateful. When I walk on stage, I, like I bow, and I like the jujitsu culture is like you kind of like yeah. I'm I'm going to act this out. Like I do this right here. It's just super. It's super yeah. subtle. Like people would not notice because yeah. it's like people are looking at you when you're walking on stage, yeah. and I don't want to make a scene of it. Um, but it's like I'm grateful to to get to do this. Yeah. And then I, I bow in gratitude to walk on. And then when I walk off stage, this is the back of the house where people can't see it, so it's a little bit more pronounced and deliberate. But I bow and I say I'm thankful I got to do this. But it's over. That was my gift to give, and I gave it. And it might have gone perfect. It might have gone terribly but it's over and I'm going to leave it there and I walk away. Man, man. Well, Luke Northworthy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, please go to Amazon, uh, go to Target, go to Barnes & Noble, get befriending your monsters. Uh, do, some, do some work on that. And what it, I, I'd really love to know when I, on, on Instagram when we post this, um, what's, your, what's your unique practice 
um, to say, I'm grateful that you get to do this? Is it, is it a bow? Is it just a prayer? Like what, what is it before you There's go a lot of, on stage? You yeah. did two practitioners who yeah. were doing the bow. Yeah. <laughs> Heavily martial art Heart, audience. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah. Big, big time here preaching <laughs> today. So, uh, but we're grateful for you and uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Steve, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Much respect. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the Crafting Character Podcast. And again, I'm so, so thankful to Luke. Go, go to Amazon. And, and check out Befriending Your Monsters. It's a fantastic read. I really, uh, I, I feel like in many ways, it's the cousin uh, to The Thing Beneath the Thing. And I, I, I loved that book so very much. I'm also so grateful for my friends at Preaching Today. They want to help you get better at the craft and, and better at having your character lead the way. And um, man, I, I just, I find myself often before I'm writing a, a talk, just in my prep process, going to their website and just diving in. I'm a member. It's It's been super helpful for me. Um, also, the Ascent Leader, uh, we've got a great cohort that's dropping in November with the one and only Dave Stone. Uh, I'm telling you, he is he is just a coach. I mean, he, he's just getting the chance. It's like sitting down with Coach K and he just has a way to bring out the best. And I, I'm excited for the pastors, the lead pastors who are going to go on this journey with Dave Stone. Uh, he's just an absolute legend. Go to theascentleader.org. You can learn more, uh, sign up for that. Uh, there's only a couple spots remaining. It's it's going to fill up really, really quickly. And then uh, Food for the Hungry. And I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I actually leave tonight to go to the Dominican Republic. And I'm excited because um, I, I am... I've been hearing so much about this organization when I lived in Arizona and I'm, I'm excited to see it firsthand. Uh, I've been to their, their home office in Phoenix, but to, to actually go um, and see the holistic transformation, I'm really excited. You're going to hear more stories in the future um, from me about it because I'm, I'm just really expecting. So anyways my, anyways, my friends, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. Share this with a friend. Let us know uh, on social media if this resonated with you and uh, give at Preaching Today a follow or Food for the Hungry a follow on Instagram or Facebook or The Ascent Leader. Um, or you can always just reach out to me at Steve Ryan Carter on Instagram or um, email me at steve at steveryancarter.com. Much love, everyone. Have a great week. Grace and peace. <laughs>